Hello there and welcome back to our Bible study on the book of Revelation. Uh, we're so glad that you came back to join us as we continue this very important study and we hope that you're finding it very, very beneficial to, to you, to your family, to your understanding of God's word. So let's, let's get started. We are, um, this is our fifth lesson in this series uh, that will take us um, a dozen or so lessons probably to go through, maybe more, um, maybe, maybe a dozen and a half. But uh, we're in chapter 3, so continuing in the messages to the churches. These are the messages that are being delivered to these seven churches. They're very real places with a very real context, and we need to understand that context as we, as we read through them. So let's look at Revelation chapter 3, and we'll look at the first six verses of this chapter. It's a letter to a church in a place called Sardis. Let's begin. To the angel of the church in Sardis write, He who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars says this. Again, talking about Jesus. He's the, he's the one who is speaking. I know your deeds, that you have a name, that you are alive, but you are dead. Wake up and strengthen the things that remain, which were about to die. For I have not found your deeds completed in the sight of my God. So remember what you have received and heard, and keep it, and repent. Therefore, if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I will come to you. But you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. He who overcomes will thus be clothed in white garments, and I will not erase his name from the book of life, and I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the scripture says to the churches. So we're continuing these messages, and Sardis um, was kind of a once-was town. Okay, Sardis as a, as a place uh, used to be a royal city, uh, and it used to be this great shining light of a city. Now, this is the history of, of Sardis, but uh, it was a town that was slowly dying, uh, slowly dying due to the, the wealth, really. The, the, the immense wealth of the people there created a laziness and slowly began to erode that which made this city so great and so wonderful and so powerful. Uh, it was known for very tall, almost impregnable Acropolis. Uh, that stood in this city, and uh, it had been taken twice. Um, and then there was a, a necropolis, which is a, a burial ground that was also quite large there. And so it was known for this as this shining city, as this great example. But it began to fade, and it began to, to uh, dissipate and die out. And Jesus uses that context, he uses that history, that reality, to, um, to point out to the church there that they themselves had a reputation of being alive, but they were really dead. Very much like this great Acropolis and this great Necropolis, which symbolized two parts of this great city and the city's eventual descent into irrelevancy. Jesus says, don't let this church do the same thing. And he points out these similarities. Um, the town was, was well known for people who had been spoiled by inherited wealth, and they weren't doing anything to repair certain matters in the city. Uh, the church as well seemed to just be fine with coasting. 
They were just on autopilot here, and they didn't understand that the world around them was about to collapse. For Christians, the world around them was about to collapse, and they needed to do what they could um, now because, as Jesus uh, warned his followers uh, some 60 years before this was written, that the dark is coming, and then no man can work in the night. The first commandment that Christians have, um, which is no other God before before me, and that, that's echoed not only in the in the, uh, the Old Testament, the Ten Commandments, which is the first commandment, but also in when Jesus says that the greatest commandment is, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Uh, we are to not put anything before God. But they, they do have God. Um, Alexander Campbell said, if, if there is no God, nothing matters. And, uh, but if there is a God, then nothing else matters. And so the Christians in Sardis were way too casual with their faith. And, and they were um, being lazy, being uninvolved. They were collecting the soil of the world on them bit by bit. And this is what Jesus points out to them um, that, they, that they must remember. It was against the law um, in the Roman Empire to approach the temples um, in, in, in stained or soiled garments. This would have been considered improper. And Jesus uses this kind of idea, which they would have been familiar with, to say that there were too many in Sardis who had soiled garments. Um, by the way, the, the main industry that was left in Sardis at this time was the wool industry. Textile industry was very, very big there. They were losing their ability and their right to approach Jesus and therefore were in danger of having their name blotted out of the book of life. Uh, this was the warning to Sardis, that they were reflecting the lazy, uh, very uninterested uh, nature of the, the culture around them, and that they were slowly becoming dirty with the world and not approaching God in purity. Move on to verse 7 here, and we read a letter <clears throat> to Philadelphia. Now, there's a familiar name because we have a Philadelphia here in the United States. Uh, Philadelphia was a large Greek town, and it became a very, very large Roman city as well. It kind of lived in both worlds as a result. It uh, had a wealthy, powerful Jewish community in it, um, and they didn't like the Christians, very much like what we saw earlier where and in many parts of, of, of the world at the time, Christians didn't want any trouble with Rome, or excuse me, Jews didn't want any trouble with Rome. And so they, they were telling the Roman authorities that the Christians were not a part of them. They were selling them out um, in order to protect themselves. And so they didn't want this, this unwanted attention, so they alerted the authorities to, um, to the Christians that were, and that they were not the same as the Jews. So this was sowing division among believers in God, and it's considered really one of the worst things that a believer can do if you, if you look through New Testament scripture. Let's read what, what Jesus says to them, beginning in verse 7 of Revelation 3. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, He who is holy, who is true, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, and who shuts and no one opens, says this, 
I know your deeds. Behold, I have put before you an open door, which no one can shut, because you have a little power and have kept my word, and have not denied my name. Behold, I will cause those of the synagogue of Satan, who say that they are Jews and are not, but lie, I will make them come and bow down at your feet, and make them know that I have loved you, because you have kept the word of my perseverance. I also will keep you from the hour of testing, that hour which is about to come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. I am coming quickly. Hold fast what you have so that no one will take your crown. He who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God, and he will not go out from it anymore. And I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of, the, out of heaven from my God and my new name, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Um, the synagogue of Satan. This is a, a clear and direct reference to the Jews that were betraying Christians, uh, to the Jews that were calling out and singling out and, and ratting out Christians to protect themselves. The church in, in Philadelphia would indeed survive the coming storm uh, that was coming at the end of the first century and into the second century. Uh, AD. And it would even thrive uh, while the churches all around it failed and ended up on the run. But the church uh, in Philadelphia, uh, historians say that it, it had a lot to do in large part to a woman named Amia. Uh, historians point to this particular person as being one of the reasons why the church in Philadelphia survived and thrived, and she was widely regarded as a prophetess, or, or we might think of her as, as like a minister or, or uh, in, some, in some way. She was lauded by writers in the, ancient, uh, in the ancient world and by modern historians as the equal to Agabus and the four daughters of Philip. I mean, this was a very important figure in the early centuries of the church and very important to the survival of Philadelphia. This church would survive even a, a Muslim takeover of the region, which would happen sometime later. And it was the last remaining of the churches and lasted until about 1392. That's the last known time when the church in Philadelphia existed. So of all of these churches, it survived the longest and endured through so many, so many things, thanks in part to, to uh, Amia and others. Jesus opens the door for them, and they became the, uh, the first and greatest missionary city. Jesus cleared a path for them. No attacks from the Jewish community or from the local pagans uh, would be able to shut that door, as he says. I've opened a door that no one can shut. And so this was a church that was being blessed, and they're being told that they are going to be able to continue and survive and to thrive, and, uh, and, and that, uh, that God would protect them from those things that were going on. All right, now we reach the final, uh, <clears throat> the final letter and the final uh, part of chapter 3. And this is a message to Laodicea. It begins in chapter 3, verse 14. To the angel of the church in Laodicea write, The Amen, the faithful and true witness. The beginning of the creation of God says this, I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Because you say, I am rich 
and have become wealthy and need, and have need of nothing, and you do not know that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. I advise you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may become rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourselves and that the shame of your nakedness will not be revealed. The eye salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Those whom I love I reprove and discipline, therefore be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and will dine with him and he with me. He who overcomes, I will grant to him to sit down with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Laodicea was the wealthiest town in the area. They produced, um, and historically we know this, a salve for the eyes, and it was known throughout the empire. That's what they were known for. They also produced black wool, and, um, and, and these things are referenced here, the salve for the eyes. Um, one thing that they did not produce was quality water. They had a problem with water. They lacked good water. The water from their springs was, in fact, lukewarm. And lukewarm water just didn't taste very good. Uh, if you've ever been somewhere out in the country, maybe you drink well water or something, you can taste the minerals. If you're not used to that, maybe it has a sulfuric taste uh, or something like that in parts of Texas and other places. Uh, you know what this is. Uh, and, and Jesus is drawing upon this lukewarm uh, idea to point out to them that they don't taste very good to him. Now, we think of lukewarmness as meaning something not really good but not really bad. It's somewhere in between. It's not pro-Jesus or anti-Jesus, but that's not what they meant. To them, there was a use for hot water and there was a use for cold water, but lukewarm water had no use. It had no use whatsoever. They were having zero impact on their community. They were not fulfilling their duty as, uh, as a people. They were not fulfilling their duty as Christians, as, as, as a gathered people of Christians to influence and impact their community. And this is an important lesson to all of us, that we let Jesus guide us and let the Spirit guide us. And in our ministry and in our evangelism, we allow God to work through us. We hold on far too long to ministries that aren't working anymore. But we need to remember that we are chosen by God to carry forth the message into all the world. And we have to let the Spirit move us in that. They were set up with a choice to make. Would they invite Jesus in and let him do what he wants? Or would they continue in the wretched, naked, and broken state until they fade away? That's the choice that we make as well. Well, next week... Uh, we're gonna um, uh, we're gonna continue through chapters four and beyond. We're kind of in the second section of the book and its message, and and chapters four through seven will be that section. So read ahead, prepare yourself, and get ready. But don't don't do analysis, don't dissect. Just read Revelation chapter four through seven, and we're gonna begin tackling that next time. Thanks so much.